Psalm 119, verses 137 through 160. Righteous are you, O Lord, and right are your rules. You have appointed your testimonies in righteousness and in all faithfulness. My zeal consumes me because my foes forget your words. Your promise is well tried and your servant loves it. I am small and despised, yet I do not forget your precepts. Your righteousness is righteous forever and your law is true. Trouble and anguish have found me out, but your commandments are my delight. Your testimonies are righteous forever. Give me understanding that I may live. With my whole heart I cry, answer me, O Lord. I will keep your statutes. I call to you, save me that I may observe your testimonies. I rise before dawn and cry for help. I hope in your words. My eyes are awake before the watches of the night that I may meditate on your promise. Hear my voice according to your steadfast love, O Lord. According to your justice, give me life. They draw near who persecute me with evil purpose. They are far from your law. But you are near, O Lord, and all your commandments are true. Long have I known from your testimonies that you have founded them forever. Look on my affliction and deliver me, for I do not forget your law. Plead my cause and redeem me. Give me life according to your promise. Salvation is far from the wicked, for they do not seek your statutes. Great is your mercy, O Lord. Give me life according to your rules. Many are my persecutors and my adversaries, but I do not swerve from your testimonies. I look at the faithless with disgust, because they do not keep your commandments. Consider how I love your precepts. Give me life according to your steadfast love. The sum of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous rules endures forever. I get the pleasure of uh, introducing our, our preacher for today, Mr. David Hughes. Uh, you can come up if you'd like. But um, So da David is a uh, pastor over at Village Church in Irvine, uh, which is also uh, our sending church. Uh, feels like a long time ago, but just over five years ago. Um, David ha has uh, served in, I think, a few different churches with Chris uh, over the years, um, and uh, a number of us also had the pleasure of, of knowing David, uh, and as an aspiring dad joker, one whose dad joke repertoire I can most certainly respect. Uh, so he'll be preaching, obviously, through Psalm 119 for us. I'm going to pray for you real quick. Then uh, turn it over to you, um, Heavenly Father. Um, we thank you for our brother David and um, just the blessing of the Big C Church that we get to see on display here today, um, and just local churches partnering together, and just a gift of having um, David uh, preach to our congregation. Um, Lord, I pray that you would uh, just speak powerfully through him, um, that you'd bless the preparation that he has put in. Uh, to the sermon, Lord, um, and I pray that he would just be used as your instrument, your vessel here this afternoon. May your Holy Spirit um, allow the truths of um, his, of what of your word to just seep down into our hearts. Praise in Jesus' name, Amen. All right, Amen. Thanks for having me. Uh, Chris asked me if I want to uh, teach uh, on this particular Sunday, and uh, I was like, I guess they let anybody teach. Um, there's like no real rules here. Um, 
the only rule I can think of is you have to be able to make one large step, apparently, um, which I did. So that was good. That was a good dad joke. I, I added that for you, Danny. Thank you. We, uh, this afternoon, we're going to look at a section of Psalm 119. Some of you guys know, I'm um, from a church up in Irvine called the Village Church. I'm an associate pastor there, and um, I love this church. It feels like a family um, to me because so many people in here are like family to me. If I were to make a list of some of my lifelong friends, um, that list would have... Chris Pobletti, Oscar Navarro, Eric Donahue, uh, <laughs> uh, Mark Dodd, and uh, these are people who like stood by me in my wedding and um, been through many seasons of life with them, and so this is like a family, so it's good to be with you guys. Um, I know that you guys have had Josh Sales up here a couple times. He's from uh, the Village Church, good friend. I was talking to him this week. We agreed. Um, Chris agreed as well. We will have a comment card in the back on your way out. If you just please let us know, um, you know, who you prefer between Josh and myself. Um, just a little something that's going on on the side, but uh, <laughs> no pressure. So we're going to be looking at a section of Psalm 119. And um, Psalm 119, we see a heart that is convinced of the worth and the beauty and the truth of God's word. And there's a lot for us in just these few verses that we're going to cover here this afternoon. And so we're going to jump right in. And we're going to get to work on it, starting in verse 137. It says, Righteous are you, O Lord, and right are your rules. You have appointed your testimonies in righteousness and in all faithfulness. My zeal consumes me because my foes forget your words. Your promise is well tried, and your servant loves it. So as we get into this section of Psalm 119, right away, verse 137, we see again that the Lord and his rules are righteous. There is a standard of what is right. And this standard existed before me in time, certainly before I was born, and it exists above me in that it has authority over me. It is true regardless of what I think. Of course, we live in a world. We live and we work and we shop and we spend our days in, in a world that is swirling, the mess full of worldviews and opinions on moral standards. And it's natural for people to feel battered down by this over time and to slowly give up a pursuit of ultimate truth. My family and I moved into a new, new neighborhood a few years ago, and um, the neighborhood is just full of cultural diversity. And we started getting to know our neighbors, and we started playing sports in the driveway that we kind of share together. And there's three really particular um, memories that all came about in the first couple months. The first was when our neighbors taught my family how to play cricket with them in the driveway. The second was when my family taught them how to play hockey in the driveway. And the third memory was when I walked outside and my four-year-old was in an argument with the neighbor boy about reincarnation. <laughs> and of course, there was no debate about the rules of cricket. We had an authority. I just appealed to them. There was no debate about the rules of hockey. They just appealed to me. But when it comes to spiritual things, eternal things, moral standards. We live in a swirling mess of worldviews. And throughout our culture, it seems that we even have a decreasing desire to know ultimate truth. And this is a good danger for us because it can get clouded and noisy. And rather than strengthening our convictions, 
for the truth that we've found in Christ, the pressures of the world can start to eat away at us and our convictions. And, and the things that we believe can start to feel more like preferences, not truth. We start maybe to wander into thinking like, well, I go to church and I believe in God because it kind of just makes sense for me in the season of life that I'm in and it works for me. And I'm not saying that's what's best for everyone. It's not how the psalmist sees it though, right? Again, verse 137, he says, Righteous are you, O Lord, and right are your rules. In his commentary on this particular passage, in this verse, John Calvin, he said this. He said, In designating God righteous, he means that as soon as we depart from him, we will not find a particle of righteousness anywhere else. (laughs) And so... As a good little reformed Protestant, you say, oh, Calvin said that. That's sick. I love that. (laughs) But is that what we believe, right? Do you believe this? And does this belief reveal itself in how you go about your day? Just because Pastor Chris is going to get in his car this week and go get that quote tattooed on his body, it doesn't mean that it's going to play itself out in our lives, right? It doesn't make it come alive in your life. Look again, verse 139. It says, My zeal consumes me because my foes forget your words. Follow me with this. This is a a phrase here that's a parallel to Psalm 69.9, and Psalm 69.9 is something that's referenced in the Gospel of John chapter 2. There's a moment when the disciples are watching Jesus and they say to each other, oh wow, this kind of reminds me of when the scriptures say, zeal for your house consumes me. And what was it that Jesus was doing that brought Psalm 69.9 in this passage here to mind for the disciples? It was when Jesus was flipping tables in the temple, right? It was when he used a whip to drive people out of the temple and pigeons were flying everywhere, right? You can find paintings of Jesus holding a little lamb or Jesus inviting the children onto his lap. It's hard to find a painting of Jesus with a whip, right? We need more more paintings like that. Jesus was furious that the temple had become a marketplace, Furious, it had become focused on the buying and selling of goods, prices that were marked up. He was consumed with zeal, it says, as is the psalmist, and as should we be. And when we're consumed with zeal for the things of God, we respond, yes, with great love and great mercy, because God is love and God is mercy, but we also respond with righteous anger towards the things that anger God. And yes, Pigeons have to die at some time, right? It's part of it. Look at verse 140. I think we see here what it is that strengthens our zeal for the truth. He says, your promise is well tried, and your servant loves it. So all of the zeal is rooted in the provenness of God. We see the words well tried. In the Hebrew, this this gives us the translation of the verb to refine. That is to say that God's promises have been tested by fire. 
These aren't promises of God that can just get you through the good days. These are promises of God that have been tested by fire repeatedly. And so the first big idea is that God's word is true, and it strengthens our convictions. And promises of God are continually proven right, and so we strengthen our convictions in God and his word. And as God's word continues to prove itself in our lives, this should give us boldness. It should give us a greater hope and faith and trust in him. And so a question for us as Christians throughout our days and years as followers of Christ is, are your convictions growing stronger or weaker? I can't think of a time in my life as a Christian like the last few years. I would guess that everyone in this room could close their eyes right now and think of someone who has followed the path of deconstruction and abandoned the faith in the last year or two. If our convictions for Christ are not growing stronger, then they are growing weaker. The river is flowing in two directions. You, you cannot and you will not stand still in it. A few years ago, I started helping my young girls memorize the the new city catechism. They're just kids, so they memorize like the kids' ones. You know, it's kind of weak, but like it's shorter, simpler, right? Kid stuff. New city catechism. We go to bed at night, I tuck them in, and I ask them questions, and they memorize the answers. I remember one night I was, I paused for a moment and thought, I wonder how many people in this world, if they were, if they could see what is happening in this bedroom right now, if they could see what I was doing, they would say, aren't you kind of just like brainwashing your child? You're just kind of teaching your kid to just repeat whatever you say as truth. She's four years old. I'm teaching her to recite answers as absolute truth. Who is God? God is the creator of everyone and everything. Question two, what is our only hope in life and death? That we are not our own, but we belong to God. I say the question, you say the answer. Exactly how I say it is to be. This is true. Shouldn't I soften this a bit? Maybe I should say something like, well, this is what daddy believes, okay? But you're four. You know how to pour your own cereal, okay? What do you think? What do you think is true? Again, look at verse 140. Your promise is well tried. The more I look to God's word, the more I examine the provenness of his promise, the stronger my convictions should grow for God. Amen. The reality is that we are a people who know how to do this. This is not foreign to us. We strengthen our convictions for all sorts of stuff in life, all the time. Best example, some of you in here, you hate going to Disneyland, right? You know who you are. You have a cold, dead heart, right? You think it's just a giant cesspool of germs, children, crowds, just a bunch of lines and just kids just licking handrails, right? <laughs> and anytime you go, you leave saying, that's the last time. And then the commercials come around like Christmas and it's magical and everyone looks so happy. And then your kids are saying, please, it's all decorated for Christmas. And you're saying to yourself, it's a lie. There is no Christmas joy there. There's only sadness. 
you give in, right? You give in and you take out a loan for $5,000, right? You sell one of your organs so you could buy a couple tickets, a churro. And the day comes and it just reaffirms everything you've ever said, right? The crowds, the lines, it's hot, everything's so expensive. And your cold, dead heart just grows harder, right? And you find yourself saying, I knew this was the worst idea, and you strengthen your convictions. And the next time someone in some casual conversation talks about Disneyland, you just unleash your rage, right? We know how to do this, right? We strengthen our convictions for so many things all day long. Movies, restaurants, favorite places to travel. We just had a community group have a huge event where they did a big old breakfast party and they had a cereal judging competition. And it's just a war, you know? Arguing about the best breakfast cereal. How much more so should we be people who strengthen our convictions in the truth of God. Amen? Yeah. As the promises of God prove themselves faithful day after day, as God proves himself to be faithful day after day, as the psalmist says in verse 140, Lord, your promise is well tried. And so again, the first thing we see, God's word is true and it strengthens our convictions. Let's keep going. Verse 141. Look how this first section ends. I am small and despised, yet I do not forget your precepts. Your righteousness is righteous forever, and your law is true. Trouble and anguish have found me out, but your commandments are my delight. Your testimonies are righteous forever. Give me understanding that I may live. I'll just stop here just for a sec. You see, in the midst of trouble and pain and feeling weak and small, God's word proves trustworthy. And instead of shaking our foundation and weakening our convictions for God, verse 143, we take delight. And so our trust and our conviction in God and his word can be strengthened through trials. And so Psalm 119 is a song for every season because God is faithful in every season, right? Keep going. Look at verse 145. He says, With my whole heart I cry, Answer me, O Lord. I will keep your statutes. I call to you, save me, that I may observe your testimonies. I rise before dawn and cry for help. I hope in your words. My eyes are awake before the watches of the night that I may meditate on your promise. Here we see this really cool imagery of the psalmist being devoted to God, not just in the daylight, not just in the time that you would expect, but before the dawn, before the watches of the night. And final watch of the night, if we're thinking of this historically, would be 2 a.m. to 6 a.m. That's likely what this would be referring to. You can see in here the idea of the psalmist saying, when you might expect to find me asleep, you will find me awake in prayer and in meditation on the word of God. And as you read this, maybe your mind takes you to a place very similar to this moment. In the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus takes Peter, James, and John to pray before he is arrested, and he commands them to stay awake. 
And Jesus heads off to fall on his face and pray. And when he returns, expecting to find them awake, he finds them asleep. And here in Psalm 119, we see sort of the antithesis to that moment. The psalmist is saying, in the moments when you would expect to find me asleep, you will find me awake. It's cool to think about. I think this should challenge us in a lot of ways, but I think it challenges us in two big categories. First, in a literal sense, and second, in a figurative sense. First, it should challenge us. What an encouragement for us to keep fighting to be awake physically to seek after God's word. When others might expect us to be sleeping, what incredible thing it is for a Christian man or a Christian woman to be devoting themselves to God's word and prayer early in the morning, late into the evening. But second, what an encouragement it is for us to keep fighting to be awake spiritually and culturally, emotionally and relationally, to seek after God's word with our minds in this world, to protect our minds, to be awake to protect our minds from the work of Satan in this world, to recognize that this world wants us to be drowning in distraction and numb to spiritual things and enticed by evil. And so we must, in every sense of the phrase, be a people who are continually awake when it is so easy to be asleep. Amen? Yeah. So the second thing, God's word is true, and it keeps us awake in a sleeping world. The United States advertising industry is a $1.2 trillion industry. The reason they spend $1.2 trillion on advertising is because it works, right? Think how many billions of dollars are spent advertising false promises of worthless things, stuff you don't need, stuff that won't make you happy, become more beautiful, buy some shiny new toys. How can they afford to spend all of that money on empty promises? It's because it works. And they work because they are expecting people to be asleep to the truth. They're expecting us to be asleep to the reality that this world is full of empty things. They expect to find a country full of people who don't have their hope and their joy firmly set on the things of heaven, but instead their hope is fixed on the next rush from a new shiny thing or a new trip or a new experience. And so they spend the money and they're right. <laughs> the world is asleep and the world is very ready to chase after empty things. And so what a gift from God it is when the Spirit speaks truth to us just as our heart gets captivated by something empty. And God uses his word to bring our mind back to Christ and things that matter. And we're quickly reminded of the big picture of the kingdom of God. And you say, Satan thought he could catch me sleeping, but praise God, I'm awake. My mind is fixed on the truth. Again, look at verse 147. I rise before the dawn and cry for help. I hope in your words. We seek him, we cry for help, and he will help us. 
Here's some simple questions for us. What are you doing to stay awake to the truth? Are we filling our minds with truth? Are we planning our days to keep ourselves spiritually awake? Are we decorating our homes in ways that keep us spiritually awake? Maybe you grew up with your family having a little magnet on the fridge of missionaries that you support or different missionaries around the world, and <laughs> you're being like a little punk five-year-old, and then your parents are like, I think it would be like being in Africa right now, you know? That was my life growing up. Spirit catches your eyes on the photo that you put on the fridge on some random day that you thought, this is never going to be a problem in my life. I'll just be able to put this on my fridge. And then the Spirit uses it to correct you when you need it, right? We have some friends who've spent the last few years risking their lives to spread the gospel in a closed country, in a city where you could count the number of Christians and you wouldn't even really need both hands. And they were home recently and shared what it's been like in this place. And we weren't even ready to hear all of these stories and um One of the things they shared with us is that when she walks down the street, the men just throw rocks at her or they'll spit on her. And they share these stories to our church family. And I just know that just like how God's word saturates our heart and the spirit reveals it to us when we need it, when we we saturate ourselves with stories of the kingdom of God and his faithful people, God will bring these stories to mind at just the right time to awaken us when we start drifting off, right? Someone's gonna be watching some HGTV show and find themselves thinking, you know, if I just moved to Texas, I could have the fireplace that I've always wanted, right? And, and that's why we don't have any friends anymore here in California, because they're all gone. And, and God's just going to wake you in that moment, right? He's going to use his word to reorient your mind or the stories of his faithful people, right? And we need this, right, church? Yes, we need this. God's word is true, and it keeps us awake in a sleeping world. Let's keep going. Look at verse 149. He says, Hear my voice according to your steadfast love, O Lord. According to your justice, give me life. They draw near who persecute me with evil purpose. They are far from your law. But you are near, O Lord, and all your commandments are true. Long have I known from your testimonies that you have founded them forever. It's been well established in the Psalms that the psalmist has enemies. Particularly, we see this um, really clearly all throughout, you know, Psalm 119. But look at the beautiful contrast of verses 150 and 151. It says, My enemies are near, but you are near, and your commands are true. Right? It's very simple. Following Christ might be hard, but like we see here, very simple and almost beautifully simple, right? We are so quick to assess a situation based on our proximity to problems, right? What's the problem? How bad is it? How close is it? You're at a party with some friends. We got a problem. Some guy brought an acoustic guitar. Okay, well, how close is he, right? Is he nearby? We know how to assess a problem. 
But scripture teaches us a different way of assessing our situation, and that is by God's proximity to us and God's posture toward us. You can say it this way. Our nearness to problems is far less important than God's nearness to us. Amen? Does that make sense? My favorite example of this we find in the book of Numbers, chapter 13 and 14. You thought we weren't going to Numbers today. Well, buckle up. We're going to Numbers. When God says, I am giving you the land of Canaan, so send out spies. And the spies return, and they give their report, and they said, all right, uh, this is a paraphrase. So we got like good news, we got bad news. The good news is that there's like milk and honey, yada, yada. All, you guys love milk and honey. It's super great. The bad news is that we're not going to be able to take the land. The people are stronger than us. In fact, it actually seems like God just probably brought us out here to die because they look strong, they look tall. Um, so no milk, no honey. Okay, we good? We kind of did the assessment. We ran the numbers, right? And then, of course, Joshua and Caleb, two of the spies who saw everything, they see things in a completely different way, having seen the same battlefield, the same enemies, the same land. And they say this, they say, if the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us. And all of God's people, they sided with the ten spies, not with the two. And God says, how long will these people not believe in me? Again, back to our passage, verses 150 and 151. My enemies draw near to me with evil purpose, but you are near to me. Third thing, God's word is true, and it gives clarity to our situations. Gives clarity to our situations. It shows us how to view our circumstances. It shows us how to size up the battles that we face. How offensive is it to God when He gives us Himself and He declares victory over all things, and then we begin to survey the battlefield and we take out our own calculators and we start doing our own calculations? How offensive is it to the power of God that 10 of these spies stood there and were saying, okay, let's see, they have one, two, three, four chariots. You know? And we have one, two, three horses, and they have, you know. Joshua and Caleb, imagine they're just standing there like, hey, guys, just let me know when you're done, you know. Let me know when you're done counting horses, because I think there's one factor that you forgot to add into your equation. Check this out, check this out. One of the sides has God on it, right? And so the only question that matters is simply, where is God in this? And the psalmist says very clearly, God is near. Do we know this? Do we know this for the things that we face? question for us. How are you assessing your situations today? How are you running the numbers today? It is very clear in God's word. There is a right way and a wrong way to consider our circumstances and to decide if we are going to be okay. Are we a people who remembers the goodness of God? Are we a people who, who let the gospel of Jesus and our new identity 
purchased on the cross speak loudly into every situation that we face? Or do we measure our circumstances in life as if we are left to fight alone, right? I started doing something in the car with my kids when I drive them to school, and um, I don't know if this is cool, but you're, feel free to steal it if you have kids. If you don't have a kid, go get a kid, then you can use it, okay? I started asking them, why are we okay today? How do you know we're going to be okay today? So we're driving in the car. Got two kids in the back there. Whatever. I, I don't have to know their ages. Whatever. Seven and five. And I say, why are we okay? I say, are we okay because you girls are beautiful? Is that what makes you okay? They say, no. I say, are you okay because you're good at sports? Are you going to be okay today because you're really good at math? Are you okay today because you have a lot of friends? And they, and they have learned that every time I ask the question from the back of the car, they yell, no. <laughs> and then they say, and then I say, why are we okay? And they say, because God loves us and he is on our side. Is that cool? Yeah. And so that's what we do in the car with my kids. We know that we are okay, not because we sized up the battles for the day and we have determined, you know what? This day is going to be okay. <laughs> I calculated it. There's enough good things to balance out the bad things. No, we calculate it by simply saying, God loves us and he is on our side. And so we are okay. Amen, church? Yeah. Last section, look at verse 153. It says, look on my afflictions and deliver me, for I do not forget your law. Plead my cause and redeem me. Give me life according to your promise. Salvation is far from the wicked, for they do not seek your statutes. Great is your mercy, O Lord. Give me life according to your rules. Many are my persecutors and my adversaries, but I do not swerve from your testimonies. I look at the faithless with disgust because they do not keep your commands. Consider how I love your precepts. Give me life according to your steadfast love. The sum of your word is truth and every one of your righteous rules endures forever. And we see the plea here three times. Give me life according to your promise. Give me life according to your rules. Give me life according to your steadfast love. And I think the last thing we see today in this passage is simple. God's word is true, and it shows us where we find life. Have you firmly decided that there is no life apart from God? Do we believe as God's people that apart from God, we are dead branches? John 15, apart from me, you can do nothing. <laughs> you can just say, that's, that's a little excessive, that's kind of offensive. <laughs> that's just what... God's word says, right? Apart from me, you can do nothing. Are we looking for life in the wrong places? Is God's word still just one of many places we look to find life and to find hope and to find peace? Is God's word just one of many places that we go to to help calm ourselves down when things are difficult? 
Church, we're living in a world with a decreasing desire to know truth. We are surrounded by a culture that is swirling with worldviews and moral standards. And rather than be discouraged, rather than give in, we just remember where we go to find life and to find nourishment. Amen. Yeah. I love this quote from D.A. Carson in a message that he gave on Psalm 119. He said this, he said, As the horizons become a little darker in Western civilization, this is not the time to have a pity party. It is the time to reread Psalm 119. That's pretty cool. And you can do that tonight. It only takes you like three hours, right? (laughs) Why is this? Because when we do this, we remind ourselves that we would rather have the word of God than any comfort in this life because the word of God is forever. And so God's word is true. It strengthens our convictions. It keeps us awake in a sleeping world. It gives us clarity to our situations and it shows us where we find life. Amen? Yeah. I want to end by telling you this. A couple summers ago, I was at the airport. We were headed out to go on vacation. We were going to um, Kauai. Eric, big Kauai fan, I know. I looked at the news, and it said that Hawaii was going to get hit with one of the worst hurricanes that they had ever had. It was called Hurricane Lane. It broke a record for the most rainfall they had ever had. And, of course, it brought massive, massive waves. And... I love surfing. I grew up surfing, and so I was really excited for this. And when I say excited, I mean I was excited to watch other people surf from a chair. <laughs> and I'll never forget one of the biggest days. The waves were massive. And there was a guy who started going out who should not have been going out, and it was very clear. And there were some other people who were standing by who could kind of get a sense that this person should not be out there. And it was only a matter of time because it broke onto the reef and then the reef went straight to a bunch of rocks and just a cliff. And we had already seen many, many people get rescued and pulled out just bleeding. And and so he goes out there and sure enough, one of the largest waves and he is just in the absolute worst spot. And it looked a lot like the perfect storm, but instead of a boat, it was just this guy. And he just flips and he's underwater, he finally emerges and he's already on the reef and getting washed onto the rocks. And he looks confused and terrified and people are screaming. And so myself, some other guys, we run down to the rocks. We're hoping he could make it back by walking on the rocks, but he's getting beat and just washed under. And there's not really much that you can do for somebody in that situation but you just see them getting beat down over and over. And, and so really all you can do is just yell at them to cover their head, to protect their head, because the waves are crashing them onto rocks. And you can come out with cuts. You can come out with bruises. You can get bloodied. You can get beaten down. But if you hit your head, it's over for you. Right? The most important thing is to protect your head trying to swim away or trying to protect your surfboard. If you lose your mind, you lose everything. 
And after a few minutes, he finally made it out, and we reached this guy, and he's covered in blood and cuts and bruises. And we probably said something really nice, like, how do you think that went? <laughs> but he's alive today, I think, unless he went back. But I was just thinking in this passage, as we look to a world that is full of deception and distraction and empty promises against God's word, what else is there to say but that we, as God's people, need to protect our heads? We will get battered in this life and bruised and storms will come and pain will come and we are surrounded by attacks on our minds. If you are raising children in this world, your children are surrounded by attacks on their minds about the most simple realities of truth and God's creation. These are attacks on the truth of God. But for the Christian who endures and holds fast to the word of God, whose mind stays set on the truth, the reward is so great. And there's a lot of good news for us in that. Amen? 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. We can take courage in the word of God as we fight this battle, and we can remember that the word became flesh and defeated Satan, and we get to walk in this with Christ by our side. Yes? Amen. Thank you for listening to the King's Cross Church Podcast. We'd like to encourage listeners to be part of a local church gathering. If you're ever in the Orange County, California area, we'd love it if you'd come by and visit on a Sunday morning. For meeting times and locations or any other information about us, please visit kx.church. There's no .com in that, just kx.church. Thanks again for listening.